You can't go swimming and not get wet. And I got wet. I got drenched, actually. <laughs> AJ can't box. He's a big old wood on top like this here, looking for a big right hand and a left up. He couldn't even do nothing with Joseph Parker, and he's a very, very, very poor man, Tyson Fury. When no I disrespect, had, Joseph. I knocked Hatton out with 10 hours gloves on, stepping back when he was undefeated. Guys, I, I stopped locking your ass. When you got on that bitch and started crying, you fucking soft-ass nigga. I got, a lot, I got robbed of a gold medal in the Olympics, which really basically f***ed me off. So I had something to prove. When you got something to prove, it makes it, you a different fighter. Your line of questioning isn't, it, it isn't uh, conducive to a good interview. Why is that? It just isn't. It's not going anywhere. You're asking me this, it's, it's, it's this is... What's wrong with that line of questioning? It's unfair. Uh, Kelberg against Crawford is, it's not, it's not a fight, is it really? I mean, um, Crawford is one of the pound for pound top fighters in the world right now and Kelbrook um, is not. And welcome back to the one and only the show you all tune in for where the truth comes out the number one podcast in the sport where apparently zone don't conduct their boxing business in public so I have no idea what Eddie Hearn does every Monday with Coogan and I have no idea what Eddie Hearn does on fight week either so if someone's got the answer to that please explain but really what I wanted to do and this is a follow-up to episode 102 and <clears throat> to everyone listening to this thank you and can I ask that you make sure that this gets to the boxes because a lot of times I'm talking to boxers and I'm explaining really simple stuff to them. And it's almost like I've just shown them fire. And if this content's not getting to them, they're never going to know. A lot of these kids are in the dark. And the reason why they kind of plod along with whatever's given to them is that they don't know any better. Trainers, managers, promoters consciously keep fighters in the dark because an ignorant fighter is a compliant fighter. And it's not good. You know, look, you guys are frustrated at the idea of seeing Chris Eubank Jr. fight Conor Ben, but that's probably the biggest fight this country can produce relatively easily. And that tells you how bad everything else is. Some of you guys have been to the small hall shows and you've seen how bad a lot of that is. And it's hard to blame the fighters for that because when you walk a fighter through really basic ideas, they don't understand because they've never been taught. And so what I wanted to do in this addendum was just add some flesh on some of the ideas we talked about. Because I only had an hour, so I just want to fly through some ideas. And it, it breaks down into two chunks. Essentially, well, but it may be three, actually. So things that go wrong and why we keep getting them wrong. And then the other part is more around why boxers don't make it. So why is it you see some of these guys and they get a buzz and they've got this, that, and the third. And then you're like... Why didn't anyone know this guy wasn't any good? In fact, why isn't he any good? Why is he getting knocked out by a journeyman? And that's an important question. Because as fans, you want to believe the words of your promoter when they say they signed someone special. But more often than not, they haven't. And the third bit is just some of my ideas around what I do, what I believe in, and some of just sort of the structures I've always worked to because I find that these work far more often than they don't. So in the previous episode, we talked about some of the stuff that was wrong. And it was around the coaching, 
you know, lack of sparring, um, general standard of kids coming through the door, the issues with Team GB, a pro system that favors people who have money to buy a gym versus people who have the skills and capability to coach, right? All of that stuff we talked about. Please listen to 102 if you haven't listened to that one. Here's just a bit more of a deep dive. So one of the things I don't think I really touched on in any depth was in every other elite sport, athletes are screened. So you're screened for your general physical well-being, right? Is your right leg stronger than your left? If so, to what extent? Is your right leg more stable than your left? So you start to find these imbalances between left and right. You find these imbalances between top half and bottom half. You find the imbalances between front and back. And these are really important because they do two things. They affect your ability to generate force. They affect your ability to absorb force. They affect your ability to resist injuries, which is just a function of too much force for any given amount of tissue, right? These things are really, really important. It's like a racehorse. You go and buy a racehorse, all the due diligence is done on that racehorse. You know exactly what you need to do to treat that racehorse like the prime asset that it is. Boxers just show up. You turn pro, you get your trainer, and whatever's there's there. Dirty, dusty, spit and sawdust. And as a culture, we praise that. Oh, that's real. That's real roots. Boxing, so not rugby. That's real old school boxing. It isn't. If you're not screening your boxes, I'm going to ask you a question. How do you know where the problems are? So I can just generically, if you tell me a kid's a boxer, I can already tell you his calves will be weak. They'll have loads of stamina in them, but their ability to produce and absorb force will be weak because it's not trained. Their hamstrings will definitely be weak because no boxer trains their hamstrings. Glutes will be weak, not trained. Lower back is generally weak because it's not trained. Mid back is never trained. So the mid back is poor for strength, is poor for stability, and it's also poor for mobility. So that affects how much you can actually extend your arm when you punch. Upper back, generally weak, although you get some genetic anomalies, right? Who naturally are strong. Richard Riakpo's one. He's, I mean, it's like, honestly, like a human tortoise with the, with the way that his back's shaped. And that's good because remember, Newton's law of motion, every action has an equal and opposite reaction. So if you're throwing a punch from shoulder height, what's going to resist it? The muscles of your upper back are going to be the first port of call in terms of resistance. If they're not strong, your structure's weak. So at the point of impact, you haven't maximized force production. So if you don't know where all these weaknesses are, you can't optimize an athlete. If you can't optimize an athlete as a strength and conditioning coach, what are you doing? Apart from just creating activity, things to do. So the difference between training and activities is intention. Yeah, there has to be an intention behind what you're doing and there has to be a value that it generates that you can then check at the end as to whether you've done it or not. Very few boxers get screened for stuff like this. Foot strength, foot flexibility, dorsiflexion, all of this stuff, which is what causes your injuries in the long run because all you end up doing is you just layer bullshit on top of bullshit on top of bullshit, right? And it's just bad training practice on top of bad training practice on top of bad training practice. And then what ends up happening is the muscles you never strengthened at the beginning of your career are the ones that keep you from running around with your kids when you're 40. 
So what we want to see in boxing, and this is what, if you're a boxer, you're a fighter out there, if you haven't been screened, if you don't know where your weaknesses are, your strength and conditioning program's bullshit. Because your S&C coach can tell you he knows what he's doing, whoever the guy is, and let's not embarrass people by naming them, whoever they are, they can tell you they're doing something, but until they work out where the problems are, it's just activity. They may actually just be making you do stuff you're already more than competent at. And then all they do is emphasize the imbalances that you've got. So one of the main problems in the strength and conditioning world has been that historically the people who do this are gym rats, right? They're guys that were bodybuilders, they were powerlifters, maybe they were offensive linemen in American football. They were guys who needed to be in the gym to lift and they know all about lifting. They know all about lifting. But when you get someone like that, they may have been a shot putter, a discus thrower, whatever. They know about getting strong for their discipline. What they don't understand is what makes boxing unique. A lot of strength and conditioning guys don't understand that you may fare better with a guy who used to be a sprinter or someone who used to run the 800 or a long jumper. You may fare better with a track athlete, for example, because at least there there's a a movement component to what they have to do, a heavy movement component. But most of these guys are just muscle heads who want to keep being in the gym and get paid for it. And so they make you do muscle head stuff. And they hate the idea of you having to jump on a rower or you just having to do, I don't know, isometrics or stretching or mobility work. They, they don't think in 360 degrees. So most boxers do stuff that's designed to build muscle. Now, you take a bodybuilder. They build muscle everywhere. Not because it's advantageous, because most of the time it's not. And that's why they're not functional, right? If you've ever seen a bodybuilder try and do anything, play rugby, play football, it's not pleasant. It's like watching one of those Belgian bull cattle just trying to move around. So they're not used to moving in multiple dimensions like a boxer has to. They're not used to being lean like a boxer has to be. So most of the strength and conditioning programs these guys are doing are utterly useless. Once again, I, I, I say this before, say before I say it again. If you haven't done months and months of hamstring, calf and footwork, you know, in terms of strengthening all of those, and your glutes, and your lower back, and your hips, what the hell are you doing sprinting? It's not solving the problem. The fact is you'll still be weak in those areas. You'll just be slightly faster at running. The value delivered in the boxing ring from sprinting is virtually zero. Trust me. Virtually zero. Unless you're someone that wasn't taking it seriously in the first place, then you may see an appreciable impact. All this stuff, ladder drills, um, <sighs> dancing around in circles, carrying people on your back, Weighted vests, all of this stuff is a waste of time. You could literally, you could take a boxer, as God is my judge, you could take a boxer and with pull-ups, squats, deadlifts, and maybe a good morning, you'd have them stronger than any program. Just off those exercises. And probably no more than five reps a set. You'd have your boxer more than strong enough. You'd maximize their physical potential. It's not that hard. But you get these complicated programs. People talk about multiple phases. Boxing doesn't work that way because boxing is not a continuous season. 
you know, people talk about the triphasic approach, and that's all cool. All that programming stuff sounds clever until you realize it's not rugby where I know I've got 26 weeks where I'm going to be playing once a week. Boxing, I don't know when I'm going to be fighting. Yeah, And then when I do know, I have a compressed time period in which I have to get to my peak condition. And I, I'm, it's rare to see a strength and conditioning guy get that right. Maybe Ruben Tabares is one of those guys I don't know. But it's rare you see a guy get that one right. What you generally find is strength and conditioning probably creates more problems than it solves. Because it can give you a false sense of confidence that the stuff is working. But until you test it, until there's a before and an after, and then until you can actually test that as a fighter in the ring, you have no idea. You know, there's value in the placebo effect. I'll take that. But at the elite level, the benefits are either real or they're not. You're going to get found out. None of this stuff works. And this is for all of you guys in the gym. Uh, even the civilians in the gym. What happens every Monday? What are you working on today? Chest. And you see guys go straight to the bench press machine. Right? Uh, the, yeah, it's called the bench press machine. And what happens? They do set after set of bench press. Their chest doesn't grow because the bench press isn't really a chest-based exercise. There's a lot of upper back work, a lot of lat work, a lot of deltoid work, tricep work. Even your glutes are working, your feet are working. It's a full body lift. And to really maximize your potential in the bench press, you probably use your pecs as little as possible because in your day-to-day -day physiology, for their size, they don't add a lot of value. So if you're trying to build your chest up in terms of mass, you're probably better off doing things like weighted push-ups, right? Bring your hands close together, do the weighted push-ups, or exercises that have adduction. That's where your value is. It's the same when I hear people go, I need to work on my lower back, so I'm doing deadlifts. And I'm like, well, if you deadlift properly, it should never work your lower back because the aim of your lower, mid and upper back is to hold the spine stable. So you may work it in an isometric sense, but you're not going to work it in an eccentric or concentric sense. You just won't. To do that, reverse hyperextensions, good mornings, or standard back extensions. And this, these are the things people don't understand. It's the same with the squat. If you want to get your legs big, squatting, it'll get you there, but it carries a lot of risk. There's a lot of compression in your spine. If your spine's weak, you're finished. I found this out, and that's why I've got three prolapse discs in my back. So things like the bench press, the squat, and the deadlift are what I call examination weights. They test out everything else you've done. Is your body strong enough to handle these weights? And just so happens, these are the exercises that require the largest amount of weight. And then also look at how few people do pull-ups in the gym. So the problem around getting stronger isn't just a boxing problem. Most people in society don't want to work on the unfashionable muscles, the hamstrings, the calves, the lower back, you know, the wrists, the forearms, the rear delts, the medials. No one wants to work on those sorts of things. They just want traps, pecs, biceps. And when you do that, you create these massive imbalances that will only lead to injury and then movement issues as you get older so it's not just a problem in boxing it's a problem in society because everyone thinks they know what to do in the gym
You saw this guy on YouTube, you saw that guy. So you just do what they tell you to do. You have no idea what problem you're fixing. You have no idea what value you're generating. You don't know what good looks like. Neither do these strength and conditioning guys. They don't know what good looks like for a boxer. And this is where we get into most of our problems. But one of the other big areas that's been holding boxing back in this country for a long time is the lack of standards in gyms. Like in terms of clubs, I've been lucky to be at clubs like Double Jab at Fitzroy Lodge where the gym is always clean. The ring will get hoovered so there's no dust. There's nothing worse than shadow boxing or sparring and there's just fucking dust everywhere because it's going to come up as you move and you don't like breathing that in. So those small things. I remember at the Haymaker gym, cleaner at all times. The ring got hoovered before David used it. The weights got cleaned. Everything got cleaned before David trained. And then it was being continuously cleaned as he trained. It was cleaned afterwards. And that's something I know he picked up from Fitzroy Lodge because I'm telling you this. When your gym is clean and that cleanliness is important to you, what it shows is you have standards. It shows you respect the institution and it shows you understand the value it's giving to you. It's not just transactional. And I've always said this, boxing training can never be transactional. Now I can name you boxers like Danny Connor who don't treat the gym with respect. You'd see him on a Friday running around in his sweatsuit and he felt no way to just soak the floor. You're like, mate, you're going to mop that up and he wouldn't. And he had to get checked until he did. I've seen him moving around in the ring. He just spits on the canvas. And there are gyms that are like that. People just spit on the canvas. They feel no way to just shoot out the blood in their nose straight onto the canvas. And those are people who go nowhere. Because they have no standards. And when trainers allow that, walk away from them. Because that trainer has no standards. The one thing you should be as a head trainer or any kind of trainer is you should be the custodian of the standards of that gym. And you can never compromise. No one's above the standards. You can say people are bigger than the gym. No one's above the standards. And that seems to be something that's dying slowly but surely. People seem to be able to come in because they've got a name and do what they want. And coaches are just in awe of them. But when you have a no standards culture, this is what happens. Kids show up when they want to. Show up late. Sometimes don't show up at all. Come in, work on what they want to work on. Don't work on what you want to work on. And then go home. And they'll tell their Instagram followers, I had a fantastic workout today. But in reality, you haven't moved a step closer to your dream. For me, the best kind of gym is what I call a self-sustaining culture. Like, if you know me well, you know I talk about being a high volume, high work rate fighter. That's what I believe in. Because it'll win you more fights than it will lose you. By far. By a, by a function of nine to one. Now, what I love is when I don't have to explain that to people. So you walk into the gym and we're doing a bag session on a Wednesday. I don't have to tell the rest of the people what the standards are. They're looking at whoever's new and anyone that's slacking and you're going to get told. If you're not here to do the work, get out. And I've seen that happen a few times. And people get shocked. And it's like, no, if you're not here to do the work, get out. And I don't have to say anything. And they'll look at me and I'll go, yeah. If you're not here to work, get out. And so what happens is you you weed out the people with no character. 
Because you can forgive people who try and keep up, but they just can't because they're not built for it. But they, they have the mindset of, I'm going to get there one day. You can forgive that. Because at least they're embracing the intensity and the standards. But there are many people who just don't want to do the work. They don't want to be uncomfortable. And a lot of gyms allow you to be comfortable. Train how you want. Train with who you want. And that's what's killing British boxing. A lot of guys aren't training like savages. Let's just remember. We had, what, a century? Over a century, in fact, of people fighting 15 rounds at a high pace. And they didn't need all of these complicated strength and conditioning programs and nutritional experts. What do they need? Standards, culture, values. That's it. Work hard, be consistent, be invested, stay disciplined. Simple ideas that in British boxing, they're not what they used to be. You know, a lot of these new Jack coaches that I said in 102, they don't understand what the body is capable of when you drive it towards those standards. So they will never ask you to do those sorts of things because it scared them or it still scares them. And so they don't do it. And so that's where you end up with this conundrum of, so why don't people make it? And I imagine this answer is true for everything, right? And I'll, look, I'll use an example, take myself as an example. From 16 to 18, was I a talented rugby player? Yeah, was I a talented athlete? No. But somehow rugby made sense to me and it allowed me to use the best bits of my limited athletic skill set in a way that boxing didn't. But because I could play for the, for the youth team, I could play for the second team and I could play well without really trying, I didn't really understand how important it was to do the small things. Did I train hard on a Tuesday? Yeah. Did I train hard on a Thursday? Yeah. But I trained hard in the things that I found interesting. So tackle practice, balls out. Rocking a morning, balls out all the time. But handling drills, I was loose on. Um, you know, catching kicks or chasing down kicks, I was loose on because I wasn't interested in it. Now, in contrast, I played with a kid called James Forrester. James wasn't as talented as me, wasn't as skilled as me in as many different things on the rugby field. But the things James could do, he could do at 9 or 10 out of 10 consistently. That was his thing. Training, 9 or 10, nine or 10 out of 10 every session. Games, 9 or 10 out of 10 every session in a very limited span. And I'd always argue, go, but I do more things than him. And the coach said to me, but you do stuff that doesn't really add value in your position. You're getting in the way, in fact, by doing so much. But the difference between me and James is simply this. I was an okay rugby player from like level four to like level six. I could have probably played level three. James played for England. And without injuries, James would have had 50 plus caps for England. He understood it wasn't just about Saturday. And that's what I learned from him. You can't just love Saturday and ignore Monday to Friday. You have to love Monday to Friday and love Saturday. 
And so as a coach, I've had to evolve my whole approach and I care about everything because all of those little things that get ignored catch up with you. So the guys that don't make it, your Frankie Gavins, um, your Josh Kellys, even though you guys don't see it on the Saturday, even your Nathan Gormans to an extent, there are guys who never fulfilled their potential. I'd argue Billy Joe never fulfilled his potential. I'd argue David Price never fulfilled his potential. And you wouldn't see it on a Saturday, but there'd be little things that happen in the gym. There'd be little things that happen away from the gym that crept in. Maybe you were toxic in the gym and so people just wanted you out. Maybe you thought you knew better than your coach. All of these little things that happen that we as fans don't get to see. But here's the crazy thing. They get out in the boxing world. Imagine this. You get two brothers. Both double, double Olympians. Not one mainstream promoter wanted to touch them. Not one wanted to touch them. One had an Olympic silver medal. Not one mainstream promoter wanted to touch them. Why? It's not just about Saturday night. It's about all the little things. Do people in the sport say good things about you? Or do they say you're a problem? You box within yourself. You train within yourself. You cut corners. Where there's a chance to do 20 reps, you do 11. Because if you're that guy, you'll never be elite. And there are a lot of boxers in this country that when given the option to do 15 or 20 reps, they'll do 10. And they'll keep gambling on the fact that it'll be all good on the Saturday night. And it will be until you fight Canelo. When you see these guys and they're not fighting and they balloon in weight. And you look at them and you go, you don't want it bad enough. And then you look at Canelo. Canelo looks like he's good to go. Two weeks notice. Anthony Joshua looks like he's good to go. Two weeks notice. Look at how Fury's career has changed once he zeroed in on these ideas of being consistent and taking care of the small things. And it's not just about the fact that you have an unusual skill set. It's all the little things that feed into that. Look at how Dillian changed when he moved his camp away from home. And all of these guys got better when they started taking care of the small things. The same with Derek Chisora. You're not going to make it in boxing. You're not going to make it in football. You're not going to make it in rugby, basketball, if those little things aren't important to you. And I'll say this, you're not going to make it in life. So if you're a manager now, and I fell into this trap in my younger years, I knew what meetings the exec would be at. I knew what meetings all the big bosses would be at. And I made sure I aced those meetings. But what did I do? I coasted through everything else. And I learned this the hard way because when you then had to do your 360 feedback, all the exec guys are like, yeah, he's fantastic. Whenever we've heard him speak, brilliant. Always comes prepared, this, that, and the third. But your peers are saying, seems a bit too casual, a bit too relaxed. Doesn't, doesn't seem to want it enough. Doesn't fight hard enough for for his team, his department, all this stuff. And I learned an important lesson 
you have to care about the little things. Because your team are going to look at you and go, whatever he finds important, I'll find important. And so I learned to be the example of my values. And I've taken that into my boxing coaching and all the other coaching I've ever done. I don't let anything slide. Because not letting anything slide makes everyone better. And in boxing, too much is allowed to slide. Frankie Gavin was allowed to slide. Billy Joe was allowed to slide. Because they were trained by weak people. They were allowed to slide. You know, Eubank Jr. Remember that period where he was doing what he wanted? Still no world title. This is why people don't make it, why they don't fulfill their potential. Look at Crawford. Does what he's told. Spence does what he's told. Shakur Stevenson does what he's told. Baturbiev does what he's told. And you get the impression with those guys, I haven't been up close with them. You get the impression everything's important. I've got to win the table tennis. I've got to win the chess. I've got to win everything. I can't switch off. My standards have to be excellent at all times. That has to be your default to be successful. How many Brits do you think are like that? Do you remember back in the day, and like I've grown to become a fan of his over time, but do you remember back in the day, it wasn't unusual to see photos of James DeGale in Marbella, in Ibiza, in Vegas, off his head. Small details. When have you seen Carl Froch off his head? You haven't. That stuff never came out. What did you see Andre Ward off his head? You never. The small things were important. I genuinely believe this when it comes to sport and life. You're defined by the things you allow to happen. And that's the essence of what I believe when, I come to, when it comes to training, guys. I live by very, very simple principles. So with me... My whole thing starts with standards, consistency, and discipline. We're not even, we're, we're now we're not even talking about, having, at this point, you haven't even got your gloves on. So if a session starts at seven, it starts at seven with or without you. I've locked people out of sessions before, just not allowed them in. Seven o'clock, seven o'clock. You show up at five past, you're disrespecting your teammates. You're telling them that you don't care enough. And so we have every right to shut you out. So don't be late. Don't show up once every two weeks. You're either committed or you're not. Now, sometimes work gets in the way, but that's what communication is about. That's understandable. The train will keep moving without you. Your kit has to be clean. Don't, don't show up with dirty kit, whatever you do, if you ever train with me. It doesn't have to be... 2,000 pound kit. It doesn't have to be super special. It just has to be clean. It's not a fashion show. You're not trying to stunt on anyone. You're not trying to show off. The only thing you should be showing off is your mindset and your skill set. Well, only two things you should be showing off. I genuinely believe in that clean kit thing. And that comes back to when I first started going to Fitzroy Lodge. And I'd show up and I'd just put like whatever I'd worn the day before rugby. So I might have a bit of mud on my socks and stuff. And Mick would look at me and go, you can't come in like that, man. You're not taking this seriously. And I was like, no, no, I am, I am. 
And it wasn't until I started to clean my kit. Now, you know, I've told the story before. Once I started to wash the kit, iron it, make sure my wraps were in the right place, my gloves were in the right place, that process started to lock my mind into what I was about to do. So then the walk from my flat to Fitzroy Lodge became really important. Same with double jab. As soon as I, as soon as I ironed the t-shirt and I got dressed and I put the stuff in the bag, I was locked into what I was going to do in that session. And I had 30 minutes to get my mind right. If I just picked up any old bag and gone in, I would have been casual all the way through. I had to learn that from, from older and wiser heads. So yeah, no dirty kit. Don't be late. Do not be inconsistent. You also need that discipline that says, I want to be better. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to want it more for you than anyone else. And these are just like base principles just for you to be in that gym. And that applies to everybody. Even the youngsters, the juniors, same standards. And one thing I take great pride in, even when I look at Double Jab now, all these years after I left, those kids still drive the same standards. Yeah, that stuff's still important. And you can't show up in dirty kit. You can't. The gym's still clean. All of that stuff is important because that's how you win. If you can focus on the small stuff, they're your building blocks for success. So for me, that's the first thing that you've got to get right. You've got to get, you've got to get your standards right. You've got to get your consistency right. You've got to get your discipline right. The next thing is you've got to have the capacity to work. And I'm old school like that. You're going to do a lot of hard, heavy rounds on the heavy bag. High work rate, high intensity. You don't stay in the same place. You're going to work all the way around that bag. You will be sweating. You will see the white light at various points in the round. But what we're going to do is we're going to get you capable of outworking any and everybody. And what does that mean? It means you can't be overweight. It means you can't be unfit. You can't not do the runs. You have to do your runs. You, you have to look after your diet. You have to do all the right things because you're going to get found out in those sessions. That's exactly when you're going to get found out. The, the idea of doing 15 rounds with someone on pads is ridiculous because you don't get the same intensity of work rate. And I will invest time in building that capacity before anything. That's the most important part for me. You build that base capacity, amateur or pro, how much work do you need to do to win this fight? That's the level we train at. Yeah. We may vary the intensity. So we might do six crazy rounds. Or we might do 12 medium rounds or 13, 14 medium rounds or 20 soft rounds, depending on what we want to do. But you're going to get all of that work done to varying degrees of intensity because you've got to understand how to do all of it. So you've got to, what's the expression? You've got to be able to move through the gears. The other level to that is just building better athletes. So as we said earlier, boxers are generally weak in the hamstrings and so on and so forth. So these guys have to find somewhere and at Double Jab, you could do it there. At the Lodge, you can now do it there where you work on these things, whether it's kettlebell swings for your hamstrings or it's good mornings for the hamstrings, deadlifts, for your leg drive, all those sorts of things you have to be doing, right? Because that's just going to build your base capability. 
This is stuff that all goes missing, but this is all important. So I'm building a better athlete as well as a better boxer. Um, I was talking to Eddie Lamb not long ago about this. And I said, look, if, if I'm going to give boxers downtime, I want them to be doing stuff like playing basketball, playing football, something competitive that's got a relatively low injury profile. So don't be out there doing tricks on BMXs, for example. But what does that do? It gets them moving in multiple dimensions. It keeps the competitive instinct up and that brings the intensity up. But it gives the muscles a completely different workout. So you can fill in some of the gaps that might develop over the season in boxing. So what do you layer on top of that? Once you've built your base of physical capability, then it's about skill development. Nothing too clever, just skill development. What are you going to do with that capacity? You know, and everyone's going to be different, but we want to get that nailed. And it has to be certain and it has to be consistent. This idea that you make stuff up on the fly in boxing is ridiculous. You don't. Like, there are very clear patterns that emerge in boxing. If you've been around it long enough, they're very clear patterns and you've got to have answers for all of those. You've got to know how to defend them. You've got to know how to exploit them. So we get that consistency going. And this is all part of the same thing. And that skill acquisition is where things like pad work and sparring become really important. And you make sure that you're driving standards and those sorts of things. What are you doing to them physically at this point? Now you're doing the fine-tuning. Once you've built that kind of base athletic capability, strong hamstrings, etc., now you can do stuff like sprints. Now you can do stuff like plyometric jumps. Now you can do stuff like weighted box jumps. Now you can do stuff like weighted pull-ups because you've built the base. But for me to accept any sort of additional exercises, my first question is, what's it fixing? Okay, cool. It's fixing that. What's the value in fixing that? How's that going to translate into the ring? What am I going to see in the ring that will justify us doing this? And a lot of exercises fall by the wayside by that test. But this is all stuff that, that happens. And, you know, when I did my presentation to Boxing Australia, this was all stuff that was in the PowerPoint. And if anyone's asking, oh, where can I see it? Can I see it? Nah, put your money up. 10 grand to see it. I mean, I can't just hand out the blueprint to everybody. But then the next level above that, so we're looking at this as a pyramid, right? We've got the base of the pyramid, which is capacity development. Then the next level is skill development. Then the top part is mental development. So that mental development is all about your decision making. It's all about getting you calm and mentally focused. It's all those things about now you start to build that focus in. Now you're building that elite mindset, that, that thing, like I said to you earlier, knowing that once you start packing your gym bag, once you start ironing out your kit, now you're starting to think about the fight. Now you're starting to go, okay, what did I do last week that I need to improve this week? And you do all of that stuff. And then once you're in the gym, we work on the decision-making. Okay, why did you throw a double jab there? Did the situation demand it? No. Okay, what did we learn from that? cool let's not make that mistake again i'm a big believer in don't make the same mistake twice i've thrown kids out the ring for doing that it's disrespectful but we work on that overall decision making this is when you start to make people in my opinion who are ready for a good run as an amateur or ready for a good run as a pro depending on how hard you crank it so you're working on that decision making that ability to just cope with boxing so that your, what do you call it? Your thin slicing stuff. Because when you first start boxing, everything's a crisis. 
I'm going to get hit in the face. Oh my God, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And then when you get experienced, you know what's coming. And you just, you have your patterns and you have your answers and your solutions immediately available. So that stuff's really important. And then the top level is, this is where we just work on our situational awareness. So now it's like, we're making this real. And we're just, we're turning you into a boxing machine. Like, my, you, everyone knows my philosophy. Only ever do what you know. So at the top level, you're just bedding that in. And if you look at elite trainers, that's really what a fight camp is. You have to assume Canelo will always be fit enough to do 12 rounds. You have to assume Canelo's skilled already. He makes good decisions. He's a, he's a Hall of Famer. So what does Canelo need to do? Literally, just situational awareness. This fight's going to give you these kinds of situations. We're going to work on how we deal with those until he's programmed to deal with them. And if that doesn't work, he can always call upon other things he's done in the past. But this is essentially like building software. You know, you have your design principles. I do. A boxer trained by me should tick all of these boxes before I let them fight. And I've always had that. And then all you're doing is you're just tuning. You're just fine tuning it, you're refining it, you're fixing any bugs. And that's that top level. That's that elite level where you're just making someone truly elite and you're just tweaking 1% here, 1% there. But it's all a pyramid that comes together. And a lot of people in boxing don't do that. Like they mix all of this stuff together. Now, when you mix all of this stuff together, you just end up with a mess because it's not planned and it's not structured. And so the boxer just gets confused and they don't understand what progression looks like, which is what you want them to do. But I don't want to talk too much, but a lot of that stuff is based on what I saw during sport, like the things I wish I'd done between 16 and 18 and probably things I wish I'd done at university. I wish I'd taken rugby a little bit more serious at university. I did because, you know, I trained my nuts off at uni, but it wasn't until I played for London Nigerians that I, I hit that level where I knew what I had to do in training and what I had to do in games. And then at that point there, you become a leader. But look, look at what you've heard from me and my approach. How many trainers have you ever heard talk about it like that? Most trainers just go, eh, whatever. We just do this, we just do that. But most trainers don't understand that. But without that pyramid, you're not going to be able to consistently generate champions. You're going to be relying on the, the outliers walking through your door. I always wanted a framework that gave me a 70% chance of producing an ABA champion. And if you apply it to the pros, I wanted a 70% chance of producing a British champion. That's what I always wanted. And I genuinely believe an approach similar to that. And it's always subject to tweaking and continuous improvement. As we learn more, we can revisit. That's another thing. You've got to be open-minded. But that's what I think. So I wanted to just to have this as just an accompaniment to episode 102 because I don't think it would make sense to to weld it onto the end of that one. So we'll just have this as a standalone. If it didn't work, let me know, but I just thought I'd share some of my thoughts on that. So what I will say is, I'm gonna sign off at this point and I'm gonna say, enjoy the rest of your day. And as always, if you feel the boxers need to hear this, make sure you tag them or make sure you send it to their DMs if you wanna be discreet, however you wanna do it. Take care guys and thank you. Mm -hmm.